<laughs> so I'm going to come to you. <laughs> I'm going to come closer. I, I, I can't talk to you guys with like a lawn between us. Uh, so, uh, but <laughs> look at this camera. Behind the camera, Mike is out there uh, making faces, giving me like the hand hearts like a child. Uh, love it. Hey, um, hey, welcome to Voice, man. Welcome to Voice. So if it's your first time here, either in person, I'll, I'll see some new faces. Uh, make sure to say hey before uh, you leave today. Uh, but whether it's your first time here uh, in person or your first time watching online, maybe you're scrolling through social media and you just uh, came across some guy talking uh, with the sunset going on behind him going, what the heck is that? Uh, welcome to church. Welcome home. And if you call voice home, if you're a regular around here, welcome back. Uh, today, we are going to kind of continue this series that we're calling Hello, My Name is Jesus. We've been doing it for a year now, literally over a year now. We're walking through the Gospel of Luke. And the reason why we're doing this, we explain this uh, pretty often, but the reason why we're doing this is because there's a lot of things that Jesus said uh, that are a little disturbing, a little unorthodox. And honestly, church... A lot, of time, a lot of times we don't talk about it. And I, don't, I know why, because it's uncomfortable. There's a lot of things Jesus talked about that we don't talk about a whole lot. And there's a lot of things that we talk about in church that Jesus never really prioritized. Uh, but we do. And so we want to go, what did Jesus talk about? Who did he hang out with? And do we prioritize those things uh, as well? So today's going to be a real short story. The sermon's not going to be short, but the story is actually really short. Uh, It's a short story full of scandal, full of competition, and at the end of it, it gives a real clear picture of what's important, of what's important. And so uh, here's what happens. They're heading up to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and they stop off in this town called Bethany. Bethany is about two or three miles to the east, I believe, of Jerusalem. And we read it here in verse 38. It'll hop on your screen or you can see it on the TV behind me here. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And you guys heard this story before? Mary and Martha? I always get them confused. So if you do that, don't feel alone in this. We're both, we will do that, do that together. So Martha opened her home, which is a whole other thing we need to unpack later. Martha owns a home, which was fairly uncommon in that time. So I, we, we can extrapolate either she was a widow and her husband's out of the picture, which has its whole set of burdens that she's carrying, or she's independently wealthy, which was not super uncommon, but kind of uncommon uh, for a woman in that time, which shows a kind of tenacity. It hasn't been easy for women to be independently uh, independent business women in the last 50 years. Uh, can you imagine 2,000 years ago in a very, very male-centric uh, area and time? So Martha opens her home to Jesus, verse 39. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he says, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came in to the room and said to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So she barges into this meeting, makes demands of Jesus, of what Jesus needs to be doing that he's not doing. Jesus replies gracefully. We'll unpack all this. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. To which Martha's sister's like, yeah, she's like this all the time, Jesus. Verse 42, but few things are needed. Of all the things you're worried about, all the things you're upset about, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. She's chosen that one, and it will not be taken away from her. So let's unpack this. Martha opens her home. And so she wants to do something extra special for Jesus. 
So she goes off by herself and creates dinner. She creates this project for herself that's more than she can do alone, which leaves her stressed, which leaves her isolated, which leaves her frustrated. I want you to think about this. So Martha creates this job that Jesus never asked her to do, right? So she's stressed. How am I going to get all of this done? She's isolated. Everyone's hanging out in the other room. It's not like she was in this mansion. She's not in the West Wing while they're all hanging out in the atrium, right? She's a few feet away from them. She's stressed because she has more of this than, than she is able to do by herself. She's isolated because she hears them laughing and talking and hanging out just a few feet from her, but she is working really hard. Probably she's banging pots together uh, a little obnoxiously probably to try to get the attention of them. Maybe they'll want to help, right? So she's stressed, she's isolated, and she's frustrated. Why the heck aren't they helping? Why aren't the disciples helping? Why, why isn't my sister of all people helping? So she's stressed. She's isolated. She's frustrated. Because she's frustrated, she's more stressed and isolated and frustrated. And this begins the cycle. And what we can draw from this is when you do more than what God is asking you to do, the same thing happens to us. When you put carry on burden, some of you guys have a hard time saying no to things. Or you're like me, we'll talk more about that in a little bit, where you create projects to do. And then you get frustrated that no one's helping you with the projects. You're stressed because you have more, more projects to do than time allowed for. You feel isolated. Why isn't anybody helping me do all this stuff? When the question should be, why are you doing all this stuff? But you're stressed and isolated and frustrated. And then stressed and isolated and frustrated. This is what happens to a lot of us. If you're feeling this right now, then maybe you need to lean in a little bit. And then here's a hard part about a, about, about a message like this because if the very people that need to hear this, the ones that are overwhelmed, they're doing too much. When I say you need to stop creating to-do lists and maybe you need to take some time and create a not-to-do list, create some things that you just need to stop doing. You need to evaluate, did God really ask you to do that? Is that really necessary in this season? You can't do it all. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. So create a not-to-do list. The problem with saying that is the very people that need to hear that don't. Because the way we respond is, you don't know my situation. I can't stop doing this or that because the world will stop spinning, right? But here's the reality of it. If we were all to die right now, the stuff will still be on your to-do list and the world will keep spinning. So why not act as if that is true? So the, the very people that need to hear this don't. They think, oh, well, I'm the exception. There's why I can't stop doing things. And the very people that uh, don't need to hear this, the ones that were probably going, you probably should start doing some more, actually. The ones that are all their Facebook posts, Instagram posts is, I've watched everything on Netflix. Anything else I can watch? And you're like, why don't you do something productive, right? Those people are going to hear this and go, you know what? I do need more me time, right? Like you're volunteering 30 minutes a month for other people and you're like, you know what? I need to take a step back from serving so much and give me some more me time. And that's a hard part about today's message. And so I realize that we're going to try to dive into this. And if you want to know kind of where you're at, just ask someone that's your spouse or someone you're dating or a family member and ask them, which one am I? And trust me, you'll get clarity, okay? So... So Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, right? 
This is scandalous. We don't have time to really dive into this because for the sake of time, but when someone was sitting at Jesus's feet, a rabbi's feet, that was the position of a disciple. And rabbis typically didn't have female disciples, but Jesus did. And so that's a whole nother thing to unpack we'll do at some, at some point. But Mary's sitting here soaking in the presence of Jesus, taking in his teachings. He's, she's like carpe dming this whole situation, right? She's there. Where's Martha? Martha is doing what Jesus never asked her to do. Martha is in the kitchen. I mean, Jesus never said, can you please make us something to eat, Martha? Martha just did it. And so she's over there and she's missing life change. She's missing peace. She's literally missing God incarnate because she's doing a project, right, that God never asked her to do. She's missing life change. She's missing peace. Ultimately, she's missing salvation. She's feeling stress, isolation, frustration. Well, what's Mary doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. What's Mary feeling in contrast to this? Is she feeling stress? No. She's feeling peace. She's in the presence of God. She is fully there. Is she feeling isolation like Martha's feeling? No, she's in community. She's hanging out with people. She's so engaged in the moment, she doesn't even realize that her sister is slaving away a few feet away. Where Martha is feeling frustration, is Mary feeling that? No, Martha, Mary is feeling fulfillment. She's feeling the sense of, man, this is what I'm designed to do. There's an ease to her life. Listen, I'm an Enneagram type 8. I don't know if you guys follow the Enneagram. If you don't, you probably know someone who loves the Enneagram and you'll know it because they start talking about the Enneagram and just, it's just prepare yourself for the next hour. I'm an Enneagram 8, okay? So if you, any of you guys that know about the Enneagram know that you need to pray for my family, okay? So Enneagram 8, I'm a DI on the disc test. I'm a type A personality, right? All these lean to, I tend to be a Martha. I tend to do things that God never asked me to do. When I walk into a room, I notice everything out of order. I don't notice things that are going well. I ignore all the things that go well, and my eyes naturally go to all the things that are not going well. Anybody else like that? I see problems. I, I can be in a church service, a conference, a moving worship environment where my wife is like crying and she's worshiping, and all I'm noticing is that mic needs to be like EQ'd better. That light is not angled right. What, is, what, are they, what do they have on the screen right now? Why is that person wearing that? Do they all shop at the same store? Like, this is what my head is going through. And my wife is like, just worship. What's your problem? Right? This is, this is an Enneagram 8. This is my problem. This is a Martha. I like to succeed. I like to feel busy. I like to make a splash. But often what I'm feeling, if I'm totally honest, is stress. Because I'm like, God, I have too much to do. I feel isolated. Because when everyone else is laughing at videos and hanging out and in community, I can't do that because I'm too busy doing all this stuff, which lends me to be frustrated because why aren't they, why don't they stop hanging out and making jokes? Why aren't they helping me do the things that I probably shouldn't be doing anyways? And then which means lead to stress again. And there the cycle continues. And you guys feel that way in this season? I remember years ago, when we used to live in the Midwest, uh, I came out here to actually to San Diego with a few friends of mine, and we were surfing down in La Jolla. And here's the funny thing about me surfing, is I can't sw like swim, 
Okay, it's like I can survive, but it's not fun. Like I don't understand how people uh, tread water. It's like magic to me. I literally don't understand it. I've tried it. They're like, just do this. I just do this while I'm like sinking. I just fundamentally don't understand it. And so, but 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 with surfing, I I'm in a wetsuit, um, and it's slightly buoyant, right? And I'm attached through a leash that's on my ankle, connected to a large thing that floats, right? The surfboard. And I surf with those big, like, eight foot, nine foot. It's essentially like a, a patio surfboard. You know, it's like the size of a small deck. You can put a grill on it. So it's large and it floats while I'm attached to that, so I'm fine. Well, what happened was a buddy of mine, uh, let's call him a friend, would untie the leash from my leg, right? So I would try to tie it back on. He would think it's funny. It's a little sadistic. So while we're out there, one of the times when I would bail from the board, I would grab my ankle, find the leash, take it up to the board, hug the board for dear life, and then breathe, right? Because I can't like swim. So one of the times I bailed from the board, nothing at my ankle because of my dumb friend. So I'm flailing in the water going, this is how I die. This is how I die with sea lions around me. This is how I'm going down. So what happened was I'm like just kind of like parallel to the surface of the water and I'm waiting for a break in the waves so I can get up for breath, take a breath and then try to like sprint, swim thing into uh, into the beach or towards the beach. Well, wave after wave after wave is crashing on me and I'm thinking I'm going to die. Like literally, this was, I had a near death experience and while I'm sitting there with wave after wave waiting for a break, I hear a voice a still small voice say, stand up. I'm like, is this God? Like, what is this voice? And I hear it again, stand up. So I'm like, okay, maybe this is a God thing. I try to figure out, I, I feel down, I, I feel sand. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's sand here. I stand up and I kid you not, I'm embarrassed to say this. I was in like three and a half, four feet of water. Okay, so my friends, my friends, uh, Dan and John were on the beach watching me in like four feet of water just waiting to die. I kid you not. And at one point they just go, stand up. And as, as crazy that is to say, the whole time I was one decision away, one small movement away from having a totally different afternoon. Right? This is my whole point. Martha, those of you guys that feel stressed and overwhelmed and isolated, you're frustrated because no one's helping you, you feel like you're drowning, stand up. Stand up. We're going to help you do that today. Leave the kitchen, put down the phone, close the laptop, spend some time with God. As hopeless as you feel like it is sometimes, it's not as hopeless as you think. You are one decision, one habit away from a totally different life. And what you're looking for isn't found in one more project. What you're looking for is not found in one more meeting, one more sale, one more to-do list box checked off. I think you intuitively know that because was it found in the last thing you did? The one more meeting, the one more phone call, the one more thing you had to do? Did you find hope? Did you find peace there? No, it was done, then you moved on to the next thing. What you're looking for is not there. Martha's never gonna find peace in the kitchen. So here are the five lessons I think we can learn from this story. We're going to breeze through this. First one is this. True hospitality is always in style. 
True hospitality is always in style. Mary and Martha were hospitable. They opened their home, right? Right away. Actually, it's, it's, it's Mary's or Martha's home. But Martha took it even further. She, <laughs> she was so hospitable, she actually missed the relationship. You got to catch that. The point of being hospitable is to actually build relationships. The reason why we wanted to safely open up to have you know, people in a limited way be able to gather together in person is there's something, there's an energy about being in community that you just don't have online, right? So Mary took it so far that she missed the whole point of being hospitable. She was so hospitable that she violated relationships. She missed the whole relationship. So here's my challenge to you. Don't worry if all the details aren't perfect. Hospitality is always in season. Before COVID, you know the days when we could have people over to the house and have parties and that kind of thing? It felt like 40 years ago. But when you would do that, and if say someone would call you and say, hey, I actually didn't hit any traffic. I'm going to beat your house 30 minutes earlier than normal. And so you're like, you're, I don't know if you're anything like me, but you're yelling at the kids. You're stuffing stuff in closets. You're like, we're going to have a good time. And you're ticked off about it, right? They're coming over any minute and you're not going to embarrass them. And the whole thing is, in the, while trying to create a relationship, you hurt relationships, right? Do enough when you're hospitable, but don't be obsessive. And in this season, sometimes when we are so, we so obsess over the details that we miss the whole point. And here's what I mean by that. When there's so many opportunities, I know there's Zoom fatigue, but there's so many opportunities for online small groups. We used to do this thing post-service where we had uh, lobby time, we called it. And we're after service got over on service online, we would hop on a Google Meet room and say whoever wants it can hop in and we'll see each other. We heard over and over again from people saying, I'm in my pajamas. I don't want anybody to see me like this. My house isn't clean. I have dishes in the, in, in the sink in the background. We're like, who cares? Who cares? They didn't want to hop online because everything wasn't perfect. Listen, don't so focus on the details that you miss relationship like Martha did. Don't worry if you don't have perfect lighting. No kids running around. Clutter in the background. No one cares. Hospitality is always in season. When you think about the groups of people, the groups of friends that were most instrumental in your life, whether it be a small group at church, maybe a group of friends from, from college days, whether it be your nuclear family, or I've heard so many stories of families that have like dinner with like their extended family every Thursday night or every other Friday night. I think it's really cool. But maybe you have a thing like that, or maybe you have a group of friends that get together on a regular basis that... They're not technically family, but they're pretty much family, right? I don't know if you guys grew up with it like, like that, where like there, I have aunts and uncles that are not my aunts and uncles, you know what I mean? But they're my aunts and uncles. So there's family and friends like that. Listen, if you're to go back to those relationships, do you remember? Did you even care if you do remember if there were dust bunnies in the corner? Did you care if there were dishes in the sink? If there were toys left out? Did it matter? It doesn't. And aren't you glad that you pushed past that stuff in those moments just to have relationship? Can you imagine if they said, let's not do this this week, let's not do this because it's not perfect. Look, no one's going to end up on some Pinterest board. It's fine, right? Maybe you will. Our house definitely isn't, right? Look, don't wait for circumstances to be perfect. True hospitality is always in style. Number two, comparison only breeds anxiety and discontent. Comparison only breeds anxiety and discontent. So Mary's hanging out and Martha is doing all the work. She's nonstop. Martha is making dinner for 15 plus people. I don't even know how to do that. 
Like I just go to Uber Eats and go, you know, 15 orders, but I don't know how to cook for 15 people. That's what, that's what she's doing. And at some point, Martha begins to compare. She's thinking, where the heck is Mary? What is going on? How dare Mary just hang out there and not help me? What's her deal? We got to realize is when comparison starts, discontent grows. Whenever comparisons start, discontent grows, right? Like you're fine with your car until you see someone else's car. You're fine with your wardrobe, your house, your family, your whatever until you see the next thing. Some of you guys that are techies like me, your phone is great till the new phone gets announced and you're like, this is a piece of crap, you know? When, dis- when comparison starts, discontentment grows. Actually, when comparison starts, joy stops. You find that when comparison starts, joy stops. So Martha compares her life to Jesus, or Jesus. Martha compares her life to Mary and feels like she got the shaft. That's what comparison does. That's what comparison does. Comparison, depending on where you're at in the, in the equation, comparison either makes you feel crummy or it makes you feel cocky. Comparison makes you feel crummy or it makes you feel cocky. The truth is, no matter how it looks like on the outside, God is at work in every person's story. And you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know the difficulties they face. You don't know what God is doing there. No two stories are the same. And comparing your life to theirs doesn't change their story. It doesn't change your story. All it does is steal your joy. And if you're in this season, you're going, I just feel like there's no joy in my life. There's no hope in my life. Can I challenge you? Maybe you're comparing yourself too much. Maybe try taking a week away from social media and see what that does. Just see what that does to your heart. So one, true hospitality is always in style. Two, comparison only breeds anxiety and discontent. And number three, when you're struggling, go to the source. When you're struggling, go to the source. Martha was wise. When she was frustrated, she went to Jesus. Same for you. Look, I'm not saying it's bad to talk to your friends, but before you talk to your friends, talk to Jesus. Before you vomit on social media, before you vomit online, talk to Jesus. This thing's going to fall. See, this is part of like me noticing things. And you guys notice that it was going to fall and you're like, this is going to be awesome. Okay, anyways. Uh, so here's a bonus question when it comes to frustration. A big question to ask whenever you're feeling frustrated or hurt is this. Why does this bother me so much? Why does this bother me so much? Because it's easy to go, oh, of course I'm frustrated because they did this. That's comparison, okay? God's not going to hold you accountable for what they do. God's going to hold you accountable for what you do in response to what they do. So why does this bother me so much? Most of the time, when we're really bothered, it's because that thing that happened made you feel a certain way that threatens a core fear or threatens a core dream, right? So if your core fear is abandonment, you feel like it's there, whoever you're with is just going to abandon you. Then when someone um, doesn't show up for a thing or someone misses an appointment or when someone critiques what you do or the way you live, then you're thinking, are they going to abandon me too? It's a core fear. It's a core fear. So ask yourself, why does this bother me so much? It's a fun thing to process. So one, true hospitality is always in style. Two, comparison only breeds anxiety and discontent. Three, when you're struggling, go to the source. Four, you can tell Jesus anything. Number four is you can tell Jesus anything. 
picture this. Martha breaks into the room and makes demands of Jesus. Look, I don't know what your household was like growing up, but if I barged into my dad's office in the middle of a phone call or a meeting, I wouldn't be alive today. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he would... Let's just say it, it rhymes with spadank me into next week. Like, all right? Like, I would not be having a good day. I would definitely couldn't go into my dad's office in the middle of a meeting or whatever and make demands of him. That's a death wish. And so Martha goes into this room and tells Jesus what to do, right? She says, tell my sister to do this and that. What does Jesus do, right? Does he go, who do you think you are? You're a peon. (laughs) Like, what is your issue, right? Just sit down and learn, right? That's not what he says. He accepts her. He listens to her. He even does like good, uh, like conversation listening techniques. He echoes her. And he says, Martha, Martha, which isn't a rebuke. When when a name is said twice, it's almost like, oh, buddy, right? It's it's like that kind of, it's not as condescending. It's not as condescending as I make it sound, (laughs) but it's like, buddy, it's, it's actually empathetic, right? And so she, he says, Martha, Martha, you are upset and worried about many things. And what he's saying is, look, you're not just upset. You're, you're, you're not just ticked off at Mary. You're worried. There's, there's a, that's the core fear thing going on. He says, you're upset and you're worried about many things. What he's saying is, Martha, come on, be honest. It's not about this, is it? This is a part of it. But you, you know, like, any guys that are in serious relationships, it's never about the toothpaste bottle. It's not about the toilet seat. The thing is rarely ever the thing, right? And what Jesus is saying is, look, come, come on, Martha. You're worried and you're upset about a lot of things. Again, whether she's a widow or the, she's a, indep- successfully, uh, a successful businesswoman independently, there, she's got a lot of stuff going on. And, 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 and Jesus is going, look, you're worried and you're upset about a lot of things. There's a lot more going in your heart. Let's talk about those things. And what Jesus is saying is he cares. And so I want to challenge you. If you find yourself upset, if you find yourself worried, tell him. Tell him. Don't just bottle it up. Don't just vomit online. Tell him. Because stuffing it down, way down in your heart is not strength. I grew up in a household where that was how I was, I was raised. It's not strength. That's high blood pressure, okay? That's not strength. Being vulnerable is strength. Leaning on others is strength. Trusting God to be strong where you're weak is strength. As God's strength cannot start in your life until you highlight where you're weak. Your weakness is the beginning of God's strength. So, one, true hospitality is always in style. Two, comparison only breeds anxiety and discontent. Three, when you're struggling, go to the source. Four, you can tell Jesus anything. And five, lastly, the path to peace begins with Jesus. The path to peace begins with Jesus. So Martha says her rant, and Jesus listens. And then he says something. We'll read it here again in verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed. Indeed, only one. He's saying that there's a lot of things that are worrying you, a lot of things that are upsetting you, and of those things, only a few 
are needed to be worried about. There's a lot of stuff you're worrying about that you don't need to worry about. A lot of things you're upset about that you don't need to be upset about. Just a few of them. And actually, of all those, only one thing you really need to focus on. He says Mary's chosen it. Mary's chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That this is a free gift. This is the whole deal, is that you have access to me. And I'm not going to take that away from her. Jesus coming to this earth to establish relationship is kind of the whole deal. That's the whole point. We've talked about this before, but the point of the gospel is not for us to pray a prayer to go to a church so we can go to heaven. The point of the gospel is that we can have a relationship with God, live that adventure here on this side of eternity, and it continues on the other side of eternity. And what Jesus is telling Martha is, Mary's chosen that. You've done all this work for me. Can you just be instead of do? He's saying that all those things aren't bad, but what he's saying is, Martha, those things won't bring you peace. All the stuff you're worried and upset about, you're not going to find it in the kitchen. You're not going to find it in a to-do list. Checking off more boxes, cooking more, cleaning more, doing more. Even the best intentions can lead to more anxiety. The path to peace doesn't come with more success. The path to peace begins with the presence of God. The path to peace begins with the presence of God. And if something needs to drop from the schedule, don't let it be your time with God. What happens too many times, even for those who call themselves faithful Christ followers, is when it gets busy, the things that we say are most important are the first things to drop. So we'll email instead of pray. We'll organize our desk instead of pray. We'll surf on social media instead of pray. And the whole time going, God, where are you? And he's like, where are you? Can you leave the kitchen? Can you turn off the phone? Can you close the laptop and just, let's just be here. This is where peace is. Peace is in the presence of God. So here's a convicting quote from a church father, a guy named Martin Luther. He said this, <laughs> so convicting. I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to get it all done. Look, I'm going to be honest with you, lest you think differently of me. I'm not at that level. I'm nowhere near at that level. I'd love to be. I want to be, but I'm not. But what he's saying is the heart of this church. Just this week, the staff got together and we were talking about how do we, as a church, spend more time in the presence of God. As a church, how do we spend more time leaning into prayer? How does prayer become our first and last response to everything that we do? So here's my challenge to you. It sounds so basic, guys. It sounds like youth camp. But how can you spend time with God daily? Not think about it. Not every three months when we talk about it, you're like, oh, yeah, I need to do that. No, but literally. And you're like, well, I'm busy. I, I just forget about it. You know what? You don't forget about sleeping. You don't forget about eating. You don't forget about Instagram. You just don't, right? There's set things in your life. These are anchor things in your life. And can we create those same anchors for what we say is most important, our spiritual walk? Here's what I want you to think about. What would your life look like if you took time every day to spend time with him? If right now you're like going, I'm, I'm, I'm clocking in at a steady zero minutes a day. On, a, on average, then what would it look like to spend five minutes a day? Don't look at Martin Luther's and going, oh, how do I, I usually spend no time praying. I'm going to spend three hours tomorrow. It ain't going to happen, okay? You're going to spend your one minute in prayer and go, I just prayed for the whole world. I have nothing else to pray about. So how do you go from zero minutes to five minutes? If you're going, yeah, I usually spend about five, 10 minutes. Okay, how do you take that to 15 minutes, 20 minutes? 
And use whatever spiritual, don't make it a formula. Some days it, it looks like prayer. Some days it looks like reading your Bible. Some days it looks like silence and solitude. Right? Some days it looks like confession. Some days it looks like worship. But how do you spend time in the presence of God? Don't get caught up in a formula. Because relationships are not created by formulas. But they are created by time. So, like Jesus said, you're worried and upset by a lot of things. You're worried and upset about a lot of things. But a few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Do you feel out of sync? Do you feel overwhelmed? How are you doing with the one thing Jesus said is needed? Could you maybe be one habit away from a totally different life? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end by singing this song. It's called Holy Spirit. Many of you guys probably heard it before, but let me read you some of the lyrics. And this is why we're singing it this week. It says this, There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. I want to say that again. Where my heart becomes free. My heart becomes free. And my shame is undone. Guilt falls to the floor. Your presence, Lord. If you're feeling bound up, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling like where sadness has become hopelessness, and you're in that world, feel anxiety, the presence of God. Spend more time in the presence of God. Look, next week we're going to talk about prayer. Jesus teaches us how to pray. But today we're going to end with this song. So could you stand with me? You don't have to stand if you're at home. I don't, you know, whatever you're, if you're driving, please don't stand up. But um, let me pray uh, for us and then we'll, we'll sing the song together. God, I just thank you. God, I thank you that we could have church like this in the weirdest year ever. Uh, thank you that we get to worship you outside in Back Bay at sunset. I mean, that's pretty awesome. God, thank you that no matter what we've done, you forgive us. That there's nothing we can do that would make you love us more or make you love us less. Thank you that we're valuable in your eyes just as we are, even though a lot of times you don't feel that way. God, I pray for hope to rise up in our hearts. God, I pray for joy to rise up in our hearts. God, I pray that as a church, we would support one another. And we'd find strength in you. God, I pray, would you help us to have a habit of being in your presence, God? We don't want to be people that just talk about it and sing lies to you. God, we actually want to make it a habit of spending time in your presence. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this together.